We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on? I hope you're doing well, having a good one. This is Richie, and I'm here for another episode as we inch closer to the trade deadline. On today's episode, I'm going to give a quick recap of the game, the loss against the Washington Wizards. The final was 104-118 in D.C., and then chat about the implications of the trade deadline and whether or not I feel as if a trade is going to be made. As we get into this, if you haven't done so, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast, and we can read one of your reviews if it is clever, if it is thoughtful on an upcoming episode that does mean a lot to us when we see those come through. Also visit buzzbeat.substack.com for ad-free and early access to episodes for just $35 a year. All right, let's get into this game. The loss to the Wizards. This game, more so in the first half, was competitive. A lot of back and forth between Charlotte and Washington. If I'm not mistaken, there were 12 lead changes in the first quarter alone. I think the Hornets did a very good job of getting their hands in passing lanes. Some of the passes were just poor passes from the Wiz, but... They created plenty of deflections and live ball turnovers, more so in the first half. That did not necessarily continue to transition offense in the second half, and and things, things just fell off a cliff in those last 24 minutes of the game. It, it was a tie game at halftime, and the Hornets ended up losing by 14. I think the transition stuff is always going to be a part of this team's DNA as long as LaMelo is on this team and those deflections, those blocks, those those live ball turnovers, any kind of quick sudden change in possession are only going to help the cause, but that only lasted so long. Porzingis was absolutely on fire. I think he always does well against the Hornets. It feels like he had 18 points in the third quarter. That's where the the tide shifted in the favor of the Wizards. 
the score went, like I said, from a, a tie game at halftime, ended up being a 12-point deficit heading into that final fourth quarter, and he finished with 36 points and nine rebounds. Overall, from a, a team perspective, the Hornets didn't turn the ball over while they did force some turnovers from the Wizards. Obviously did not result in a win. And like normal, they're just not scoring at an efficient rate from anywhere. A lot of missed shots around the rim. The floater range was not good for a lot of different players on this team. And shooting, I think, less than 30% from behind the arc is just not going to get it done. And I think all these numbers are reflected in the second half, especially where it just took a it took a dive for the Hornets. I thought Gordon Hayward had a very solid game. He was one of the few players that I thought had a good defensive possession on Kristaps in the third quarter. Really, I mean, no no one slowed him down, but on this specific possession that I highlighted on Twitter, he forced KP to receive this pass. It was like on a switch. So they were trying to feed KP the ball, but he, they he forced him to receive this pass so far from the hoop outside of the paint. And so any kind of size advantage that KP has over Hayward, it was negated by the positioning of where he received the pass. And Kristaps is not a, a physical guy, and I think Gordon Hayward is. So pushing him off the high post and getting him outside the paint did wonders for this specific possession. Gordon finished with 15 points, two assists, two rebounds. I feel like he's always been an underrated fast break transition player in the NBA, especially for his age and his position. You consider his speed and his athleticism. You wouldn't expect him to be a guy that's maybe top 70, top 80 percentile player when it comes to transition points and efficiency, but I think some of his early points he got going just finding the angles. And I remember asking him, I believe in his first season in Charlotte, about that. And he shared some insight on why he's been so underrated in that aspect in terms of the angles and filling the lanes and knowing when to cut because he can't use his speed or athleticism to outpace people on the court. He's got to use the timing of everything. So I've, I've got to find that clip on Twitter. I still, I think it exists out there somewhere. So, you know, when the Hornets had it going in the fast break, I thought he was a, a big player in that department. A lot of his early buckets came in transition. He just seems to be shooting a good ball right now. I don't have the numbers in front of me in terms of like maybe the last five games or so, but his percentage has got to be at a very, very high clip. <laughs> if you're worried about trade talks and, you know, maybe his his value right now could be higher than what most people would think if you had asked a month or two ago when he was dealing with the injuries. He did seem like the one player that could have made sense in a Westbrook deal because you're getting off one year and clearing some space this summer, but anyone that's been paying attention realized that Russell Westbrook was traded to the Jazz in a three-way deal with Minnesota and the Lakers. And the Lakers, I actually thought, got a very good haul with uh, Beasley and Vando. 
Big fan of Vanderbilt and his versatility on the defensive side of the court. He can play that undersized five. I feel like he's an underrated playmaker as well. So I actually thought the Lakers did well. I you know, was not expecting much from them. It was going to be very difficult to get off Westbrook, but they were they were able to do it. So I always thought that that would be the one deal in which Hayward would be moved, Russell Westbrook type of type of deal. But now that he's out of the picture and being bought out by the Jazz, that's kind of out of the question. So if you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. LaMelo in this game, very, very strong first half, especially from behind the arc. But in those final 24 minutes cooled off in that in that second half. He had his three-point shot working early. Like I said, he extended his streak of 44 consecutive games of a three-point make, and he did that in the first minute of the game. I think what really shook him, and this is what I was referring to earlier in terms of efficiency around the rim, he just missed a couple of bunnies, a couple of easy looks around the hoop that I'm sure he liked to have back. Sometimes when you see shots like that so close to the rim go in and out on a consistent basis, it just kind of messes with you mentally. And I'm not saying that, you know, obviously LaMelo is a very competent player and he's going to continue to attack regardless of the outcome sometimes and sometimes to the detriment of the team. But you, you can't help but think that that weighed a little bit on his mind as he was getting closer and closer to the hoop 
but some of these shots just rimmed out because the angle or the touch was just a tad off. Having said that, he had a very good drive in the first half, I believe. I think it was the second quarter. There's a screen that was being set by Mark Williams. He turns it down, and so he's having to fight through his defender. And we talk about the physicality with LaMelo and how he prefers to be finesse as he gets closer and closer to the rim. But I thought his strength was definitely shown in this specific possession. He even flips it up with his left hand and converts. That was one of the few shots around the rim that actually went well in his favor. But yeah, that, that type of stuff just did not continue in the second half for him and was a big reason why Charlotte couldn't keep pace with the Wizards. It's not all on the mellow, but it feels like when he can't score and he's having to resort to being a facilitator and relying on others to get the job done, it's never a good formula. He finished with 16 points. And I think 13 of those, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. I think 13 of those came in the first half. So only having three points in the second half, and I believe he was scoreless in the third, that, that those three points came very, very late in the game. Rozier, another name in trade talks, finished with 19 points, six assists, seven rebounds. He had his like herky-jerk mid-range game working. A lot of uh, those plays where he keeps the defender on his back, a lot of Euro steps and turnaround fadeaways, handful of points from the mid-range. That was the type of game that we saw from Rozier. And it's interesting, I, I remember talking about this on podcasts and on Twitter as well, just the fact, not his first season in Charlotte, but his second and third season with the Hornets, how he showed a lot of growth in the department in that mid-range. And it's always been a good counter to when teams run him off the line. So if his three-point shot isn't falling, he can rely on something other than just the three-point shot. But this season, even though tonight he did well from the mid-range, he just hasn't reached that 45 47% from the mid-range that he did in his second and third season. And his three-point shot has fallen off his two, so it's like it's like a double whammy in that department. I, I kind of wish that that was a part of his game this year because his three-point shot has fallen off, and I think you know the roster around him as well probably doesn't help when there's not a lot of space to maneuver within the three-point line. But you know it, it's very hard to judge some of that stuff with this season and how it's gone. Mark Williams had his moments in this game as well. I think I think the biggest thing that you can speak of when it comes to Mark Williams is just his activity. He attacks the offensive glass. He's assertive in going up with the ball when he does get good positioning, deep positioning. And when he when he gets that ball off the offensive glass or whether he gets the ball off an entry pass, he just goes right up with it and and I love to see that he's so confident and sure of himself down there, and he knows that his length and his ability to get off the floor quick is going to outweigh anything that the defense can do. And the quicker you can do that off an offensive rebound or off an entry pass, obviously the better chance you have of putting it through the hoop. 
And also, too, you see his activity, not so much tonight. I didn't see a ton of this tonight. But you just see his activity when he's having to defend out in space. If he can just stay active, I think that's going to take him a long way early in his career. And then all the other stuff he can just improve slightly every single year, whether it's the mid-range shot, whether it is being a little bit more of a playmaker, a hub at the at the uh, high post, whatever it is, you know, the activity, that, that that's something that he has right now and you really can't take it away from him. And obviously his wingspan and his, and his size and his length. So very promising moments from Mark Williams in this game. It wasn't his best game by any means. I think one of the funnier plays when KP was guarding him and Williams just kind of like slipped to the weak side block while Porzingis was on the strong side block, but he was inside the paint. And for whatever reason, KP decided it was in his best interest to do one of those things that defenders do sometimes when they are realizing it's, you know, two count, getting ready to be a three count inside the paint on defense, and you're not within arm's distance of your opponent. He decided to do one of those things where he just kind of like steps out of the paint to reset the defensive three-second clock. And when he does that, like Ball is so smart and he sees that Porzingis is just doing this little tightrope dance that he just lobs it up for Mark Williams for this alley-oop dunk. He would have been better off just sliding over to the opposite block and that would have also reset the three-second call and not have to worry about that. So... Not that this was really a Mark Williams play, but he got up off the floor pretty quick on that alley-oop. And I think Jalen Duran, you think about this versatility that he brought uh, out of Memphis and about being that ideal partner with LaMelo. And we can, we can talk about that draft all you want, but Mark Williams is more than enough in terms of the pairing that he can have with LaMelo, that lob threat. And certainly there are things that he can't do that Duran kind of already has a leg up on him. But I also feel that Williams is playing much better than I think we give him credit for. And sometimes we hold that trade against him. All right, let's talk about the trade deadline. Hornets are at the point now, unless something has happened and I haven't noticed it on my phone. They're at the point now where they've not made a single trade. And we've talked at length about the different ways that they can go. They have several players that are very tradable. Some players on this roster, you have to kind of worry about the contract. But Kelly Oubre, Mason Plumley, Mason Plumley, by the way, forgot to mention this, he got injured in this game. And it, it gave me a scare because if there was any chance that he would have gotten traded between now and the deadline, I thought this injury would have just completely devalued him if it had been more serious. Bradley Beal had swiped down at the ball and completely hit his, I believe his right hand, and he had to go back to the locker room for a little bit, and I thought for sure he was going to be out for the rest of the game, but he did come back with some tape around two of his fingers together. So, probably a little bit uncomfortable right now. Not enough to keep him out of the game. He was able to come back for whatever reason the Hornets did put him back in the game. And his, his value is still there, but I thought that the timing of that was just so, so Hornets-like that they would wait to the last minute to potentially consider a trade for Plumley 
and that get all out of whack because of this injury. But in the grand scheme of things, do I think this injury is going to hold back Plumlee and his trade value? No. I think it's going to be more if Mitch is going to pursue this. Is he going to be active and aggressive in trying to make a trade? I was going to release a solo pod on Monday about the trade deadline, and it was right after Kyrie Irving, because this is kind of what started off, kick-started everything with the trades and the rumors, and things are starting to pick up, and they, they always do on the last day and the last hours. I had started to think of a way that the Hornets could get involved with a Kyrie Irving trade, and the followers, the people in Slack, our Slack channel, can attest to this, but I had concocted a three-way trade that looked very, very similar to the compensation that the Nets received in the actual trade when they got Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie and several picks as Kyrie went out the door to the Mavericks. I released like a 10-minute podcast segment in the Slack channel if you didn't get a chance to listen to it. I'm not going to rehash what I said, but it was a trade in which the Hornets would have gotten Dorian Finney-Smith and they would have gotten off of Mason Plumlee's expiring contract. And they would have sent a couple of uh, picks in the Nets' direction and the Mavericks' direction to try to sweeten the deal a little bit. And the Nets would have ended up with Spencer Dinwiddie and Mason Plumlee and Kyrie would have headed the Mavericks' direction. So I just thought it was interesting that when the final trade came through, before, obviously, we even knew Kyrie was going to Dallas, I was able to kind of concoct a trade that looked very similar to the players that were involved. The only difference was that Dorian Finney-Smith was coming the Hornets' direction, and the Hornets were shipping plumbly to the Nets. But if you want to go in a little bit more in-depth to my thoughts on DFS, uh, and you're in our Slack channel, I did release about a 10-minute conversation that I had about Dodo. And then you had the Westbrook trade that I just mentioned, and I think that shuts down any kind of potential talk for Gordon Hayward. I just don't see Gordon Hayward being traded. The Hornets, to me, are just going to see what they can get from him next season on an expiring contract. When he plays, like he's he's a valuable player. He's a valuable player on the court, and I know that's a big if, and that if is obviously the the one drawback with his value. And I just think that if you were to trade Gordon Hayward right now, you wouldn't be getting value back. And that's okay. You wouldn't be getting the the value that you wanted back. And so that's why I think the Hornets probably should just hold on to him. But Plumlee, I still think there are trades out there to be had. I know there was some interest supposedly that the Kings have shown in him. And at this point, I would take basically anything for Mason Plumlee as long as it's not some kind of long-term contract. And in our Substack chat, John had sent this fake trade, and I want you guys to think about what you would do if if this was sent in Cupcheck's direction. It was Plumlee going to Sacramento, and then Terrence Davis and Chemezi Metu and a second-round pick coming in Charlotte's direction. On the previous episode, I believe, I had 
tried to come up with a trade in which I would attach a second to Mason to get a first. And I think that's I think that's the best you can do. But at this point, as we get closer and closer to the deadline, I I do think that his value starts to decrease a little bit because I, I wonder if teams are going to call the the Hornets bluff and realize that maybe Plumlee could be a buyout option and they would just wait until then. I think Spencer was right when he mentioned that the Hornets needed to get out ahead of the market and start fielding offers for players like Oubre and Plumlee earlier than obviously the last day before the deadline. And I think he's right. I think at this point, a trade like this that John had sent in the Substack chat, you know, Metu and Davis, I think more than anything, are just salary match matchers at this point. Like it's not, you know, Metu... 25 years old, 6'9 center. Like you can look at him as a young player, but he's he's an expiring, which is you can look at it two different ways. I I don't personally I personally don't mind trying to match salaries with players that are either on an expiring or only have one more season after this, especially when we're talking about Mason Plumley. Like Metu doesn't do a whole lot for me on the basketball court. He's a guy that sets screens. He rolls hard to the rim. He's pretty much an all kind of paint touches guy. He doesn't do much for the spacing. He's not really a playmaker. He does have a little bit of rim protection on the back end. But again, he's doing most of this against backups, and his role with Sacramento has definitely been decreased to the point to where he would just be a throw-in in this trade. Terrence Davis, obviously, is just kind of like a, in theory, he's a shooter, you know, on defense, he can kind of get his hands in passing lanes and stuff like that. You know, he'll work he'll work hard on that end. But I think a trade like this is more for the second-round pick than it is for those types of players. And I think that's all we can expect at this point is some players to match salary, in this case, Davis and Metu. And both of them are on one year, you know, they're on their final year of their, their deals here, so there's not much of a commitment. And then you get a second-round pick. I think same thing for Ubre. Ubre might be more valuable to a team in terms of what he could bring in the playoffs, but expecting anything other than a second round pick for him is probably getting your hopes up too. I continue to say that even though that Rozier probably has the most on court value versus Plumley versus Ubre, I just think that the contract is gonna make things hard. Um, to to negotiate and, and work with, and I think Charlotte just holds on to him as well. You know, I, I'm not expecting the Hornets to make a trade for you know with Jalen McDaniel's either. So it's going to be interesting in terms of what the Hornets do. I think two weeks ago we were all in the boat of saying the Hornets have got to make a trade, and I feel like the Hornets will make a trade, but at this point. It feels like every time the hour passes, it it seems like it's not going to happen. It was funny. The the fans and the Hornets Twitter following Sunday's loss versus the Magic, handful of people were like, man, this is likely the last game that this collective unit plays together. But guess what? It definitely wasn't. They played again against the Wizards in that 14-point loss. Who knows? Mitch... Cupcheck could potentially sit this one out. 
you don't know what's happening behind the scenes. You don't know how active he is. So just because a trade doesn't happen doesn't mean they were they weren't shopping players per se. But to me, it's going to be a disappointment if they can't get at least one deal done. We'll see. You know, we've got under 12 hours. I guess it depends on when you're listening to this before the deadline hits. I believe it's 3 p.m. Eastern, Thursday. And I think if something does go down, you'll expect to hear from us. We'll get a reaction pod if if a player or picks come in the direction of the Hornets. We'll, we'll react to that. Even if a trade doesn't go down, we may have a reaction pod to that. So we will see. I definitely appreciate you guys tuning in to this solo pod, a recap of the Washington Wizards game, and just kind of quick thoughts about the trade talks and what could happen for the Hornets. Let's just sit back and, and see what happens. I think that talks, obviously, were going to only intensify as the day goes along. So we will see. Talk to you guys later. Take care. <laughs>